Hi, hi. Wow. If you are someone who has already listened to part one, two, three, four of this series, thank you so much. You probably heard me say multiple times within those episodes that this was just a four-part series and that was going to be the whole podcast. But honestly, the amount of downloads and messages and positive responses that I got led me to decide that I'm actually just going to add more episodes because I have a ton to say about anxious attachment style and becoming more secure and what better place to put it than on a podcast where you can listen in your car, walking around or whatever you're doing. And so I wanted to kick off the expanding of these episodes by talking about how I moved from anxious to secure. And the reason I got this idea is I was watching TikTok as one does and I saw this man talking about how he moved from anxious to secure and I realized, wow, that's actually kind of different than what I did. And so there's different paths for getting there depending on where you're at, uh, who you are, and how your unique nervous system is reacting in these experiences. But I trust between the five different things that I will share today, one of them will definitely stand out to you, if not multiple, to help you envision how you can start to cultivate what you need in order to move from the anxious attachment behaviors and tendencies towards being more secure. So, the first thing that I had to do, and actually this is in no no particular order, it kind of happens all simultaneously at the same time, but one thing I had to do was develop self-compassion. I was someone who was fiercely independent, overworking, completely burning myself out on top of people-pleasing and having poor boundaries, and it was just a mess. (laughs) And when I looked deeper at that, it was because I was not gentle on myself. I could be gentle and patient and caring with other people, but when it came to the standards I had for myself, the mental talk that I had towards myself, and just the amount that I would put on my plate as far as my schedule goes and pressure I put on myself was incredibly high. So I had to develop self-compassion. And in one way... That might sound obvious or easy because you probably already know how to be compassionate to other people in some circumstances, so why is it so hard to turn it inwards onto ourselves? And what I had to really look at was the reasons that I thought that it wasn't okay and the beliefs that I had that were stopping me from being able to slow down or stopping me from being gentle with myself. And this came through many somatic therapy practices and internal parts work. Um, internal parts work, internal family systems, aka parts work sessions, also inner child sessions. And the reason inner child sessions tend to be so potent is because when we are seeing ourselves as a child, we really see the innocence that a child has. And so it's easier to start to cultivate that patience and compassion. What we tend to also do is talk to ourselves as our parents would talk to us. And this came through on a somatic therapy session that I was facilitating yesterday with a one-on-one client. She was telling me how when her anxious or overwhelmed or negative thoughts come up, she would say, nope, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, We need to stop thinking that, which can be seen as effective because you're kind of interrupting the pattern by realizing the thoughts aren't true. But if you imagine speaking with that tone to a child, they're going to perceive that in maybe one of two ways. One being they're going to start questioning their reality because they believe this is true. So if the adult says, that's not true, stop thinking that, that's very confusing for the child. And when the child loses their own sense of self-trust, now they start to rely on the adult to decide what's true and what's not true. And when they lean towards that sort of outsourcing for validation or understanding or direction, 
that is going to manifest further into this anxious attachment style, which looks outward in order to get the answers or affirm that we're good enough and affirm who we are. Another child might get even more mad. <laughs> so they might have a little more life force and a little more energy and fierceness and a, and a fight response where if the adult said, that's not true, stop thinking that, they may get even louder. And this would manifest in your adult mind as the thoughts being more intense, more intense, and seemingly relentless, even though you know they're not true. So in either case, speaking in this voice uh, or this tone of that's not true, shut up, we're not thinking that, that's bad, is actually likely not going to be effective or not as effective as if we change the tone to speak to ourselves with compassion and gentleness and saying, hey, I understand this feels very intense, but I just want you to remember or let's question together, is this true? Is it true that the person is mad at you? Do you know for sure? You know, that sort of patience and presence, giving that to yourself is going to create a sense or a space for the intensity to dissipate. You can imagine if you're talking to someone or a child like this, even an adult, you're going to get that, okay, maybe it's not true. And when you can admit it yourself that it's not true, instead of saying, this is not true, shut up, or this is not true, stop thinking that, it's going to land much deeper. So that's just one example of what self-compassion looks like and how you can kind of keep an eye on it and what might actually get in the way. Once you can speak to yourself with more self-compassion, then you also start to trust yourself more. That's what real self-love is. And of course, those qualities are going to lead you to feeling more secure and solid in yourself, which is going to result in your, or not result, but translate into your relationship dynamics. Second thing is I had to get really clear on my boundaries and needs. And I did that by reflecting on what didn't work for me in past relationships and what really didn't feel good. So one thing that I hear a lot from my clients is that something that doesn't feel good when we have an anxious attachment style are dating people who don't like to use their phones or say they're not good texters or just not valuing consistent communication. To me, as an anxious attachment person, sometimes I want to say like, that's bullshit. Like, how are you not looking at your phone? Everyone's looking at their phone. And at the same time, if that's their truth and that's how they're going to behave and that's the action I'm going to receive, then I have to know that that actually doesn't work for me. So a need for me is to be in consistent communication, which may be in very early early days, that's once every few days. But if I'm actually dating someone, then of course I would expect to talk to them every day. And that's my need and that's okay. But it's something that I had to own and also communicate. Getting clear on all your boundaries and all your needs can take quite a process of self-discovery and really slowing down and look at where boundaries and needs actually affect your life as a whole because we can look at emotional needs and time boundaries and physical boundaries and um, physical needs and space needs and time needs and there's so many different categories of this. So that's why what I'm sharing is that the first thing to do is usually to look at what didn't work for you, right? A third thing that I did to move from anxious to secure is to take responsibility for some of the shadows of the attachment style. 
I have begun building an ever-growing library of tools, practices, and techniques specifically for self-healing, emotional healing, and working with anxious attachment style. I have put all these resources into a school community. If you're not sure what school is, it's kind of like Facebook groups, but better, and it allows you to interact with different people in the community, but also access the space called the classroom, which I have loaded up with guided somatic practices, guided meditation. I even put in the first week of my group coaching program, Secure Love, for free in there so you can get a deep dive training. This is also a space where you can get direct feedback, response, or reflection from me if you create a post within our community thread. The group is called Becoming Secure. You know that there's a link in the show notes for you, and if you're one of the first 100 people to be listening to this episode, then there's a really good chance that you will get in for free, and it will be free for you for Forever. After that, it is a very low ticket building tier group. I want to make it accessible for everyone that is committed to deepening their personal healing and personal growth journey. So I'm looking forward to connecting with you inside. Now, back to the episode. Often the attachment, the anxious attachment is seen as sort of the soft lover, kind of the one in the victim role because the avoidant is pulling away, disappearing, ghosting. But at the same time, as someone with anxious attachment tendencies, what was really beneficial for me was seeing where those were not only harming me, but also the people I was interacting with. So as an example, by over-functioning, over-giving, over-showing up, over-everything, I was setting a standard that I probably wasn't going to be able to uphold. So I was training the people that I was relating to that I basically didn't need anything, that I could take care of myself, that I was there when they needed, but not there when they didn't need. And I would listen so intently to everything that they said so that they were made to feel so, so extra special. Meanwhile, the reason I was doing that is so I could get their validation. So by this overfunctioning, as I said, I'm training them to expect a certain level from me of capacity that I probably actually didn't have and I definitely wouldn't have given to other people in my life. And when there comes a point where I can't uphold that anymore because I'm tired or I have a lot of work or a hormonal dip, then they're going to feel confused or disappointed or upset or my attempt to continue to overfunction in that way is going to lead to frustration and resentment when I'm not getting that same level of presence or care or whatever I think I'm doing back. Another shadow of the anxious attachment is a desire for control. And this shows up in predicting or trying to predict the future. So when we daydream about a life with this person that we just started dating and we're planning the wedding in our head or we're just thinking about the good times that are coming up or planning a date that doesn't even actually have any confirmation, what we're doing is we're trying to control the future and trying to protect ourselves by predicting something that we want. We can also do this by deciding what type of person they are and projecting this idea onto them in order to try and control the situation to protect ourselves from getting hurt. So it's this whole game that's playing out in our mind through our imagination that feels and fuels a sense of comfort and a sense of soothing because if we can decide that they are going to be, act, and show up a certain way, then we will start to feel more safe to basically just exist. And when we're actually dating someone, especially if you are a woman who identifies as being pretty independent and able to handle things herself, then control is going to show up in ways like questioning your partner or little passive aggressive criticism, maybe outward criticism, 
and sort of this belief that you, because you would have done it different, you would have done it better. And if you are a woman relating to a man, that is not going to feel good for his masculinity. And this is something I've had to work so hard to dial the dial, to turn the dial down on. When I got into my current relationship, I thought I had done such a good job and now I see the sneaky ways that it shows up and how it translates for him is that I'm doubting him, that I don't trust his capability and I know that's not true, but sometimes it's so hard for me to let go of those little details and just let it happen and trust that even if it's different than I would do it, it's still going to be okay. And that desire for control, as we know, is one of these anxious tendencies and one of the shadows of it. So working with that has been a big lesson and an ongoing lesson for me, for sure. The last shadow that I want to mention is codependency. So this is usually the experience where the person that you are relating to and their level of happiness dictates your level of happiness. So if they feel off, you feel off. If they're upset, you're upset, even if it's not about you. But if they're upset and you don't know, what it's about, you're going to feel like it's about you and you're going to feel like you need to fix it, solve it immediately. And it can be really all encompassing of your day. And this outsourcing of your own autonomy of feelings and powers is so incredibly draining. And I was doing this in a number of ways where I would feel a lot of urgency to resolve conflict immediately. If anything came up, like I want to come to your house now and I want to have this conversation or I need to call you now. We need to talk about it now. And that sort of conflict management doesn't always work. Usually that means the energy is completely heightened and some people just need space. So I had to learn how to respect people's boundaries in that sense and not be so urgent to have conversations all the time and talk about it all the time. When you are in a safe, secure, and trusting relationship, of course you can talk about it, but it doesn't have to be right now. A fourth thing that I did to move from anxious to secure was slowing down when dating. This is in order to avoid pedestaling someone or daydreaming about the future, as I said before. And in this, what I really had to do was make sure I had actual consistent evidence for the character traits that I was excited about because I would meet someone and I'd be like, oh my gosh, he's so nice. He's this, he's that, da, 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 da. And after one date, can you really know that? Can you really have enough evidence to really know someone? No, of course not, right? On a first date, half the people are too nervous to really even be who they are and um, the other half are going to be on their absolute best behavior with their, you know, shiniest mask on in order to be um, received well, as I would do as well. So for anxious attachers, it's really important to slow down so that we're able to see reality for what it is instead of trying to force our reality into a daydream that we've put into the future. Something that's often recommended if you see this as one of your core behaviors to really lock onto someone to maybe become a little codependent with them and pedestal them is to actually date multiple people at a time in the beginning, you know, until you can really suss out and trust who you want to move forward with. And even when maybe part of you tells on the first day, okay, this is it, this is actually it, but these other guys, you know, I'm just going to throw them to the side, really seeing if you can slow down and just let things move and flow as they are until you know that you can land safely with someone that you're feeling secure with, that you have enough evidence that they are going to take care of you, meet your needs and communicate with you in the way that you want. This I can say is honestly something I've never done. It just hasn't really worked out that way at all, but I can definitely see the value in trying that. Just keeping your options open just a little bit so that all your focus doesn't lock onto someone and you then begin to project all of these needs and desires and expectations onto them, which usually is the thing that leads to disappointment. 
And number five is that I had to stop dating the people who triggered the fuck out of me. So by the time I got to this point in my attachment style journey, I could very easily pick up whether someone was going to be emotionally unavailable, non-committed, and avoidant. And on one hand, that still felt good to me. It still felt compelling because that's what I was used to. But I knew that the path was going to be so painful that I had to walk away from it before it even started or as soon as possible because I knew it was going to get worse. I knew that the truth for those type of people is that they aren't able to give me what I want. They're not ready for a committed relationship, which is what I want. And by continuing to walk the path and date someone who was avoidant to that level was only actually self-harm. And I had to correct that path. Now, I will say that in the beginning, dating more secure people was also really uncomfortable because it wasn't fulfilling my belief that love is inconsistent. It wasn't making me feel like I had to be hypervigilant and constantly working to prove my worth. I was getting validated. I was getting consistency. I was getting safety. And this was a shock to my nervous system. This made me want to curl up in a ball and hide in the corner and feel scared because I thought this person, they're going to see me. If I can't hide behind over-functioning and showing up and over-giving and people-pleasing, they're going to see me. And that's scary. So I had to ease into this. I had to regulate my nervous system along the way. I had to feel my toes curl when he would give me gifts or plan dates. And it was this contrast of, oh my God, is that really happening for me? Can I really receive this? Am I going to have to owe him something? And also the part of me that was like, oh, this is so nice. I'm excited. I feel taken care of. I feel like I can lean into this. And with more practice and more presence, I was able to expand my ability to show up for that and also um, show up and give to the level that I wanted, which was to my own capacity within my own boundaries. And every time you have one of these experiences where you try it a little different and you receive the positive feedback, that's going to expand your capacity to be able to change your behavior. So as an example, asking for a need, right? We can go back to the communication example. In the past, if I would think about asking someone that I was dating to be more consistent in communication with me, I wouldn't do it. I would feel like I was being too needy, too demanding, that I had to wait longer to ask for that, that I had to officially be his girlfriend in order to ask for that. I never would have because the fear of the pain of being rejected was just way too much. In this relationship, when I started to slow down, relate to people who were more secure and who I could really feel their integrity, feel their consistency and feel their trust with tons of evidence that created a more safe environment for me to start to ask for these things. Sometimes it will actually be a non-issue because these types of people are going to communicate consistently with you. They are going to be clear. So in that case, we can just appreciate it. Wow, I feel so grateful when I get a good morning from text from you every day or I love how you make the plans. Then we just get to acknowledge what's happening and that is also going to help you receive it on a more deep level. So quick recap on five of the things I had to focus on in order to move from anxious to secure. Number one was developing a deep sense of self-compassion, which is real self-love. Number two, getting clear on my boundaries and needs. Three, taking responsibility for some of those shadows of the anxious attachment. 
four, slowing down, and five, not dating people who are really going to trigger my attachment style. I hope this was valuable to hear with the examples and the stories. I would love if you left a review. I wasn't actually realizing how important and valuable those are to a podcaster, but now that I've done a little more podcaster research, I see that that's super helpful. So just a couple words um, would be amazing. For better or worse, I'm happy to hear your feedback. And I will see you in the next episode. Take care.